Hi, I'm Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR intuitive and healer. And this is the Heart of It podcast, where we chat about what's at the heart of our workplace cultures, energy. It's time to recognize the physical, emotional, and spiritual energy that creates our cultures. And as HR, we are being called to care for it all. Our organizations need us now more than ever. They need the healing only we can provide as HR practitioners. So what are you waiting for? Let's do this. Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I am so excited that you're here as we welcome a new member to the Heart of It family. And our guest today comes as a recommendation from Gary Ware, who was on the podcast earlier this season. And if you don't know, Gary Ware was a recommendation from Jeff Harry, who's been on the podcast several times. Um, And so really, it's, it's like a legit family here. I mean, we have, you know, this whole connection. Last month, we had Becky Morrison, who uh, came to us as a referral through Amy Lynn Durham. I mean, my gosh, talk about connections and community here. It's just awesome. On top of that, our guest today has a background that surprisingly really connects to the work that we do here at the Heart Center from a Chinese medicine background. However, just like most of us, her career took a turn and evolved, and we're going to learn about that today. Before we get there, talking about evolving, I wanted to just spend a few minutes to talk about our healing work services. And we've really... um, I want to say simplify that in the last six months. And I want to make sure that you fully understand what is possible under our healing work services. So basically what we have going on now is we have an initial visit, which the only real difference between an initial visit and any of our other sessions is if you're a brand new client, we just uh, request that you pay for that session up front to make sure because we are holding space for that. We also typically usually buffer those appointments so that you have more time for that initial appointment. The initial appointment is meant to be a get to know you with the practitioner, which is typically me, um, and also answer any questions because typically when someone is coming in for an initial visit or a distance visit, we are doing medical Qigong therapy. um, And usually there are a lot of questions because most of my clients have not done energy work in the past. However, that's not the only service that you can have there. What we did actually about six months ago is open it up so that you can integrate our abstract, intuitive um, coaching services in there as well. And with that, we also opened up a 90-minute session spot. So basically, you have a choice to use that time for anything that you would like, uh, whether that is dipping into my HR expertise, doing some intuitive coaching, um, or getting some medical Qigong therapy or a blend of all of them. So I have quite a few clients who come in for a 90 minute session, they'll spend an hour coaching and then still receive a 30 minute uh, medical Qigong healing session. So um, I wanted to make sure that I threw that out to you. um, And also reiterate that they are in person or distance. And I know that Distance from an energy work standpoint can sound weird. Uh, However, if you think about it in terms of that we don't typically touch the body when we're doing medical Qigong, we can also do it when the body's not actually in the room with us. It's an amazing experience. I usually find that clients that I work with at a distance 
uh, feel much more sensations if they're not familiar with feeling energy because it just puts us in our own comfortable environments and we're put at ease and we're just kind of more open. Um, and then obviously from a coaching perspective, distance is so easy after going through quarantine. We all got really good at being digital um, and we do that typically through Zoom sessions. So I just wanted to throw that out there, a little educate you about the Heart Center mo uh, moment for our healing work services. Um, and I also want to plant a little seed of something that is coming in February, which is going to be our new leadership development program. So if you're not on our newsletter, predominantly, I would say join the newsletter through LinkedIn, um, but also join our newsletter or follow one of our social media channels because you're not going to want to miss what is coming in February 2023. It's going to be awesome. All right, so let's get back to our guest today. Uh, I'm pulling her bio from her website. And our guest today is Jennifer Mason. She is a Berkeley educated licensed acupuncturist who needed to become braver and in the process accidentally became an award winning stand up comedian. As a shy person going through an unexpected divorce, she found that work Working the terrifying edge of vulnerability and authenticity led to greater confidence, courage, and fun. Now she helps coaches and people who need to speak for a living find ease and flow by learning the twist, how to turn bad days into good jokes. In the process of finding her voice as a 50-something divorced mom of two, she found unexpectedly she found unexpected freedom and joy through doing comedy. She performs monthly and coaches other midlife women to overcome stage fright through the techniques of stand-up comedy so they can become confident and memorable speakers in a supportive group program. Uh, she also helps speakers who want to level up their talks, focus their message, and shape it into succinct stories with punchlines. Um, yes. So we have an acupuncturist that is a comedian now. Um, and she is just a true joy. And if you know <laughs> the track, you know, so Jeff Harry to, to Gary Ware and now Jennifer Mason, um, you're not going to be let down by this interview. It is amazing. So without further ado, let's just hop into it. Let's talk about the world of comedy and energy and linking that to leadership development. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I am so excited that you are here today, and I'm really pumped about season three because we're having a lot of firsts. You know, after two years of interviewing over 100 guests, I thought that I had hit kind of everybody in a genre, but not really because I've not had a comedian, and I've not had a comedian who actually coaches people who has a background in acupuncture. So if that was even possible, which I didn't think it would, we found that guest. And so today I'm joined by the incredible Jen Mason. Jen, do you want to say hello to everybody? Hey, Sam Smeltzer. I'm just, I'm so, I, I can't believe I'm your first acupuncturist comedian, but uh, I'm so glad to be here. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. In fact, I think when someone mentioned you, and I know you don't use the name anymore, but they talked about your acupuncture practice being vitamin chi, and I thought, that is so awesome. And I think my staff was like, did she trademark that? Can we like steal it if she's not using it anymore? Because that is like really catchy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, but you have moved on to greater things. And 
one of the things that um, I think is just fascinating, and I did not share this with you because I wanted to make sure that we got this in the raw conversation, is I think you and I are kind of in reverse. So I'm here actively studying Chinese medicine. However, when I was little, my dream was to be a stand-up comedian. Um, and I was terrified of it. So I kind of abandoned that and went my own way and, you know, found my new path. But you're almost the opposite. You were an acupuncturist and now you're doing stand-up comedy. So the question that I want to start with is, can we learn about Jen and your winding path? Like, did you start wanting to be in comedy, but maybe were afraid or, and then so acupuncture was your fallback, you know, tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are today. Uh, well, um, I don't know if you know by looking at me or my jade necklace, I have a, a Chinese background. Uh, so my grandmother, we grew up in my house taking some Chinese herbs. My grandparents had an herb shop. So I always knew about it, but being a, um, a, a typical teenager, I'm like, that's not for me. That's... <laughs> Uh, until I became an adult and I was teaching English and I started getting migraines and sore throats and Western medicine couldn't treat it. I'm like, why not? So I went, I, I went back to school cause I knew that there was this other thing. Yeah. I, I think Chinese medicine is like, um, it's like having a library card to the secret library of all of this knowledge and, you know, um, so I became an acupuncturist. I'm a licensed acupuncturist. I got licensed back in 2001. Um, and in my practice, I've been treating a lot of people who um, their problems are are not like, they're not like the problems in the acupuncture books. They're more, mostly depression and anxiety and insomnia and um, racism <laughs> and... Um, and uh, and then I just thought, how can how can we cure the heart? Mm. And, and part of it is that people feel so powerless. And one of the things I think about comedy is is you're you're facing your fears and you're um, you you twist difficulties into something funny, and that is incredibly liberating and and healthy. It's therapeutic. Yeah, you know I um, and obviously you're on a podcast called The Heart of It, and so clearly my work has gone in a similar fashion and my obsession with studying Chinese medicine from a Qigong perspective, you know, is less about the clinical side and more so about the heart and impacting who we are as professionals and all that we give in our professional lives. And I think that's the, been the component that's been missing for a long time when we talk from an HR perspective. Um, and so I love hearing you say that. And that's why I think your approach um, from a comedic perspective you know, I just always think, you know, laughing yoga is like coming out and becoming a really big thing, but even the art of laughter. In fact, I was just coaching a client today and telling him, go sit at the park where the kids are laughing. Like that sound is so healing. Um, and so we know this. And so that's why laughing feels so great. And, and so for you to embrace it as a healing practice because that's what's happening and kind of that link from acupuncture of depression anxiety but knowing about healing the heart and uh in qigong the healing sound is a ha like a ha 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 so uh yeah i mean it was like it's a perfect little segue there so how did how did that happen for you that it eventually like 
Were you just like funny in the treatment room? And then all of a sudden you started doing stand-up comedy gigs. Like how does it transition to stand-up comedy? Because there's a difference between being funny and then getting to comedy. True, true. Um, I, I personally think that everybody has a five-minute set. That's why I love to coach comedy. Um, I think that I was probably always funny, but I was such a shy person that only the person sitting next to me in class would know it. <laughs> so I was that kid. Um, and I was, um, I was a teacher for 25 years. Um, and, but when, then I got divorced and I realized I needed to go back into business and I wanted to promote my acupuncture practice, but being so shy and afraid meant that I could not network and I had a hard time charging for my services. I said, you know, Hey, do you want acupuncture? I'll treat you for a sandwich, you know, and <laughs> it's really hard to pay the bills that way. Yeah. Uh, so I knew I needed to get better at finding my words and my courage. So I went into finding my voice and I did Toastmasters. I did improv. I took singing lessons. And then on my 50th birthday, I just thought, I just saw myself on stage doing standup. So uh, I walked into a class for it and they're like, why are you here? You know, like, are you somebody's mother? Have you ever held a microphone? And uh, the answer to all that was no. Um, and, uh, and I found that uh, stand-up is terrifying, Sam. It, um, my heart was beating so fast, I felt like I was gonna die. Uh, but then five minutes later when my set was over, I was still alive. And it's, uh, it's like the second chance of life where you just feel like anything's possible and everything seems easy. And it's, uh, it's kind of like parachute jumping for people who don't have really great health insurance, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, you know, for the listeners, you know, we have a lot of HR practitioners who listen and they all at some point have to do training, whether they have a background in it or not, uh, they have to do training, which is standing in front of a large group of people. And the, you know, the common go-to is PowerPoint slides clicking through and is pretty boring. And so a lot of them try to use humor. And this is when you probably uh, learn what bombing is because you will tell jokes and they get no kind of reaction. I train for a living and I now have, I've realized, and I've only looked at it this way since I knew that you were coming on the show, I have like common go-to jokes that I know land with people because I've been running them for so long in these weird HR scenarios. And so it's interesting how stand-up comedy actually can be part of our daily lives in some ways. That is totally what I believe. That's why, um... I, I am actually working on a new course that is made for entrepreneurs or professionals on how to incorporate comedy into your work life. Um, because I, I really think it makes us more engaging, which is great for marketing, but it's also really great for lightening up serious or dull topics. Yeah. Uh, you know, like that professor that used to just pepper jokes in, and maybe it's only one every three minutes, but just enough to keep you awake. Yeah. They don't even have to be good jokes. They have to, you know, like they still work. Like, and I've, I've learned that I taught at the college for four years and really cheesy, horrible jokes. Even the fact when they bombed was what made them funny. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about bombing because I think, you know, you're talking about fear and fear is probably the number one thing that holds all of us back. Uh, and in fact, anyone who's struggling and feels like they're not getting to where they want to be, guarantee it's because you're afraid of something. 
Um, and so now you're taking something like comedy and that is really super scary. Like I'm getting, I, I'm getting the sweats just thinking about that. <laughs> I just don't know if I could get there. And even though I wanted to do it and I've always wanted to do it, I, I don't know if I could get there yet. Oh my gosh, Sam, let's well, get you there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole nother conversation on another day. But, um, so let's talk about the inevitable, the, the failing, the, the, the failing in life. I mean, so why is that? You view that as a gift. You view this as something that we should treasure. Why? Right. Um, well, I think that for a long time, I, I, well, I'm still, I'm still a very shy person and I'm an introvert, uh, which is hard for people to believe now. Um, and I think it's because I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of doing something stupid, of saying the wrong thing. Uh, my nickname in sixth grade uh, given to me by the boys uh, is the mute because I, I couldn't speak. I was that shy. Um, and so fear kept me back. And um, when I became a teacher, I realized it was my gift to pretend to be extroverted so that other people could talk. Because if everybody's shy and quiet, then, then nothing happens. And as a comic, um, the first time you bomb, the first time your joke doesn't go right, it is, it is so, it's terrifying. It feels terrible. And then five minutes later, it's over. And the first time that happened, I walked off stage and, and it's kind of like, oh, that's what death feels like. And I'm still alive <laughs> and, it's, and it's still good. And it, it just kind of opened this door for me. Like this is, that was the worst that it was going to be. Mm. And, and other comics will tell you that it's, it's all part of it. If you're not bombing, then you're probably not trying new things enough. Oh, I but then that. in life, the bombing, bombing in life, that's my material. That's my gold right? Um, mm -hmm. Everything that comics, that's funny, uh, it, are the things that, that we failed at in life. Um, because nobody wants to hear a comedic, a comedic set about how great your vacation in Hawaii was. You know, that's not funny. Um, <laughs> they want to know how a lobster bit your nose or, you know, something stupid and um, the stupid, embarrassing things. And so when that happens to me in real life, I'm like, <gasps> Oh, that's terrible, but it's going to be a good set. Mm. And now as a comedian, I am chasing failure and embarrassment because that's that's my next step. And and as Sam, when you are not afraid to fail or make a fool of yourself, I really think then you're unstoppable. Yeah. All of yeah. life opens up. Yeah. So, you know, what I start to think about is these really heavy conversations that HR has to have in an organization and I'm thinking about it in regards to even strategy right now. Like right now, they're they're advocating for changes in compensation. They're talking about diversity. Um, you know, they're advocating for themselves and their wellness or the wellness of others. And, you know, the question has always been like, well, how do we frame those conversations? Yet, you know, now that we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, are we making those two heavy like do we need to have this lighter aspect do we need to have a comedic aspect to establish some sort of trust to start moving the needle and manifesting change of things that are just super scary for organizational leaders to even begin to tackle and now we've got like 90 of them at one time and so have you thought about how this plays into helping navigate the current climate and and 
help to kind of heal or even shift the energy within organizations? Hmm. Um, well, I, I think I haven't thought of it particularly to HR, but now that you say that, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And it's interesting because you're right. They're very serious things that are happening and it, it wouldn't be fair to make light of somebody suffering mm -hmm. or of serious injustices that have happened. Uh, what I find is easiest is for me to make, to make myself the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. Um, they say uh, that, you know, every joke has, the, every joke has somebody being the butt of the joke and you want to make sure that they deserve it. And I know I can take it. So I'm not going to make fun of somebody who is, is suffering. I'll make fun of my own ignorance or, um, or the fact that um, I can't possibly maybe truly understand or um, so when you, and when you do that, then that self-deprecating humor puts everybody at, at ease. And it's also a way to be vulnerable and authentic, which I think is also naturally funny and naturally connecting, um, but also makes serious conversations more productive. Wow. So in like the last just three minutes, you've dropped two big, big kahunas here. You've dropped one, which is um, poke fun at yourself. <laughs> And two, stepping out of your comfort zone when you talk about, because I'm introverted too, but pushing yourself to be extroverted so that it facilitates conversation that has to happen for those who aren't comfortable in there. And, and I agree. I think in HR, it is part of our goal to be able to push so that the natural kind of things happen when we're navigating the people in the organization. But that calls to mind, like, I got to be able to poke fun at myself and be okay with that. And so now we're talking about like who I am as a person and my identity and if I'm secure with that. And so you could like, man, like right there, you could like, like you want me to do what? Like you like, cause our natural tendency since we're in grade school is to make fun of other people to make ourselves feel better. And now to be a leader, I got to poke fun at myself to help create these connections in a real raw, authentic, vulnerable way. And so how do we start that? Because you're right. You know, if I can do this, I'm unstoppable. And if I can take my material and get on stage, like that's a whole nother level. But how do I even get to the point where I'm able to take some material and do it with just me and my boss? <laughs> well, I think you, you kind of already hit on it when you said, I have these jokes that work. Um, I have these jokes about topics that come up a lot and, and they work. Um, so you've already started gathering material. And so that's kind of your signature, I call it your signature joke, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think for, for different situations, you can kind of figure out um, your your signature jokes and what, because you don't have to make fun of the the rawest wound in your heart. Um, maybe, but there's, maybe there's, so actually I like to start my students with an exercise where we talk about you know, what are the basic facts of your life? And then what's kind of funny about it? Hmm. And then we look at your flaws, if you can find any, <laughs> and, or struggles. And then what's funny about that? Ah. Um, and the simplest way, I think, is to have an unexpected emotional response to something. And that's funny, right? So I, I'm 53. I'm in menopause. And um, 
that's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people to talk about. They they don't want to admit it. We want to, you know, put on more and more face cream and pretend like we're still 30. Um, but, um, but, you know, I embrace it now. Now I don't have a choice. So I'm like, I'm in it. And you know what? It's awesome. It's the promised land, you know. I'm living the tampon free dream. Uh, so I'm not saying that you need to do that with your boss, but if there's something that's a little, um, a flaw that's maybe easy to talk about, you know, embrace it and be like, yeah, that's right. I'm menopause queen. <laughs> uh, I've got not, you know, don't, don't worry about the heater cause I'm hot flashing for everybody. So uh, embracing some, an aspect that you can, that you feel comfortable joking about. Yeah. So I, and I love how you talked about one of the first exercises and kind of going through and doing an inventory to identify, you know, what, what can you accept as funny um, and what you're willing to share? Cause you're right. You're, we're not going for super raw exposing yourself. And, but as you do this, like you're technically going to grow and evolve. Like you're going to keep like what, I don't know if you said this now or before we hit the record button, but you made reference how you're kind of on the pursuit for failures in life for new material because you're kind of using it up because so you're pushing yourself now. Now you're almost chasing it, which is a whole nother shift in mentality and perspective. And so while I'm because I love this task, I'm going to say, listeners, here's homework. Go find what's funny right now that you're comfortable talking about that you maybe even already doing. But what about how do we use the flaws that we identify that kind of like we know hits a, a weird way. We're like, Ooh, I don't, I don't know if I would want to put that out there. Is there something I can do to start working with that, to start growing and get comfortable and start to move it to a place where it can be funny knowing that it can be this incredible tool to help other people. Uh, yeah. I think comedy is especially good um, in heavy things where we can help other people. Um, I don't, I don't know if I told you my very first set was accidental. I, I accidentally did stand up comedy as an acupuncturist because I was doing a workshop called menopause doesn't have to be miserable. <laughs> and I was telling real life stories about my mother and, um, how she literally had a different personality when she hit menopause. She went from Muriel to Phyllis and she started swearing like a sailor, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your show. Yes, you are. We're, <laughs> so yeah, she went from being a church lady named Muriel and she'd say, you know, Lord love a duck. And then all of a sudden menopause hit and she's like, Phyllis, don't take no shit. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, um, I think, uh, you know, these things happen. And so when, when I can talk really about what's really happening in menopause and people are like, Oh, she knows she's been there. Um, it, it's a connection. It's saying, mm -hmm. I also have this problem. Um, and I understand. And people who are watching me are saying, oh, and she's overcome it enough to be able to talk in public. And that's very positioning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think I also shared with you that I'm, I'm working on an ADHD set because I'm figuring that out about myself. And um, so I'm working on a set about why, yeah, I think I have a childlike brain, but that is my superpower, you know? <laughs> That's so great. I love that. Because <laughs> they're like, you know, live in the moment. I can't help it. I already forgot what we were talking about 20 minutes ago. So isn't it just, I mean, like you're, you're unpacking your life, creating them as sets, but you are literally revisiting your life and shifting it into a positive perspective. Like you've just made like every aspect of your life an incredibly 
fun-filled, enjoyable comedy that I would go see in a movie theater. Um, and I think that's just so... I don't, it's, it's heartwarming and lightening to start thinking about life in that way. Like, I'm just amazed, like, energetically, this is such a shift. Like, we've been talking about, you know, all kinds of stuff and the heaviness, but when you put your spin on it, it, it just makes it so much lighter. It's so much lighter. Yeah, the twist. Um, I, I really think that, you know, if, if I'm stuck in traffic or if I'm stuck on a plane, with somebody really annoying sitting right in front of me, leaning the chair back. Um, at first I get super annoyed and then I'm like, how would I play this character? <laughs> yeah, I, I start listening for phrases that I want to use when I play this character on in a set. <laughs> That's so great. So, uh, you know, when you're talking about your first set as a acupuncturist, uh, my teacher, my my first medical Qigong teacher is an acupuncturist and he has these two big bulletin boards in his office that are just filled with acupuncture comics. Like it's just like horrible kind of like really stupid humor, but I can't help it. Like every time I'm in there, I've read all of them, but I always have to go and just read them all over again. And it's become a thing where people find acupuncture comics and they come in and they give them to him. Um, but they're just, it's just so funny and it's so light. So I think we've kind of danced around this, but I want to ask you this topic directly. Um, you know, professional burnout is a huge issue that we're having. You know, let's throw another heavy topic out there. So the great yeah. resignation, people are abandoning ship um, for good reason. I think that they're really starting to take a look at themselves and take care of themselves. Uh, it's put a lot of organizations in a very hard place, but you know, it's interesting because when I look at the organizations, we see that play is coming back in a mm -hmm. way that I haven't seen in several years. In fact, we've interviewed tons of play facilitators because they are coming back with a vengeance and it's needed. Um, but like I said, I haven't interviewed a comedian in this arena. And so what can comedy and laughter do energetically for an organization for those that are in professional burnout? but even for helping to heal our cultures and like, and do you have even any thoughts as to how that materializes? Like, would you recommend that we have stand up comedy shows every week? <laughs> of course. And, um, and, and there are, there are stand up comics who go into corporate. Um, I am available for hire. Um, <laughs> and, and they'll do a uh, material kind of uh, based for the profession or the, um, the company. Um, I think it would be great to have um, that as professional development. I think that if managers um, took uh, some comedic classes, maybe meetings would be better received. <laughs> maybe memos would be read all the way through <laughs> if there were some punchlines. Um, even just a, a little, a little uh, rule of three stuck in there somewhere. Um, for serious topics and burnout, you're right. It's, it's such an incredible time. Um, our civilization is just shifting because uh, the pandemic made us realize unthinkable things could be thought about. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we're also seeing um, politically and, and maybe in the workplace too, that, that there's widening viewpoints that seem like they will never, they will never listen to each other because the other is the enemy. Yeah. And so rational discourse isn't working. Logical arguments aren't working. Um, do the research isn't working. But I think comedy is 
you know, viral videos, stupid little comics, um, stupid little reels. Um, those are universally watched. Everybody loves those. And so I think that is a, a way that we can actually communicate. We can, I mean, this, this country is so divided, but, um, everybody loved Betty White, you know? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Betty White and Bob Saget. It's like, what happened this year? But see, but that's what I mean. Like, I mean, you could be old, young, right, left, um, but you love Betty White because she's just a goofball. And, yeah. and so, so I think Betty White is able to communicate with everybody. Mm. So I think comedy is the way that we can get through these, these barriers. So leaders, if you learn how to do comedy, you can be the next Betty White for your organization. <laughs> well, Betty White is pretty special, but maybe just a hint of Betty is going to help, right? Yeah, a hint of Betty. I like that. That You should have a whole coaching program called Get a Hint of Betty. <laughs> <laughs> you know, part of what Betty White did was she was so self-deprecating. She's like, she played this little old lady who maybe just didn't know and then bam, right? Yeah. But you didn't see it coming. So she didn't present herself up as somebody super important. She yeah, just, you're I, absolutely right. Oh my gosh, I love Betty White. Now I'm like reminiscing because I just totally, you just took me there. But but I mean, here's another perfect example of a shift that can happen that quickly by someone's credibility and presence whose dominant tool was comedy. Like even in her interviews, like in all of her interactions, there was, it was funny like I don't, I don't know if I mean I'm sure there are serious Betty White interviews out there but everything that I've ever seen on Betty White was always still filled with humor she might be serious and talking about things that are heartfelt but there was still it was still Betty White and it was still connecting with you with humor yes yes absolutely um she just had that naive kind of character yeah oh that's awesome so um, I guess I'm going to put you on the spot here, but if I am listening and I'm like, oh, uh, leadership development uh, with comedy for my leaders, that sounds awesome. Would you be open to a conversation like that from one of our listeners? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I just like to like, you know, some of them scope out the podcast for referrals. So before I tell them that, I want to make sure that they heard you say, yes, contact me. I'm open to that. <laughs> I would love to um, be part of putting comedy into into the workplace and and uh, productivity, leadership, getting along, and making people happy at work. Yeah, and I'm... and bringing back community because I think that's another big thing that we've just that's really suffering right now through the pandemic. We need community, and when we're laughing together, we're in community. Mm. Wow! Like there's. After everything that you've said, I can't find any downsides about comedy except that it's very, very scary the first time. So you reference stand-up comedy as working the uh, or being the muscle of courage. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, well, I think we talked about how the best comedic topics are the vulnerable ones. Yeah. So that's that's your first courage. And then getting up in front of people, right? That's that's the number one fear is public speaking. And not only talking about something, but trying to be funny um, and, and realizing that can fail. So uh, so it, it takes a lot of courage to do. So please respect and tip your comedians when you see them. They're doing hard work. Uh, but as the reason why I started teaching it is because as an acupuncturist, I, I had these patients who were suffering from anxiety and depression and feeling like they couldn't 
make any real changes in their life. And it's like, okay, let's play truth or dare. Actually, let's just play dare. Um, and, uh, and so when you dare yourself to do something scary, um, then, then you build that muscle of courage. And then when the, when the real scary things come, they can seem like less, just, just easier and more manageable. So what were some of these dares that you would dare people to do? I'm just, I'm curious. Is there any like common go-to dares that you had for people as they're starting out and trying to flex this courage muscle? Well, people are so funny, right? It's so individual. So for one of them, it was um, go to work with messy hair, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, um, say hi to your mail carrier, you know, so people, people, uh, or, or, you know, or, or ask for, ask for that thing that you wanted from your boss. Yeah. Meeting them where they're at. So we can start someplace. There are baby steps. You don't like dare them to just go right on stage and, and test out a set. Only after the eight week course. <laughs> Only after the eight week course. Noted. So if you're looking at that course, maybe know that that's what's coming at the end. <laughs> Well, Jen, this has been a ton of information in the 30 minute, and I can't believe that we went through it so quickly because I feel like we just started talking and then I looked at the clock and here we go. Um, So before we kind of wrap things up, do you have anything else that you want to share that maybe I didn't touch on that from your world of expertise that you think would be relevant to our audience? Oh, I guess the only thing that I would say um, that I I probably should have said earlier is that um, what I believe about comedy is... Um, yes, self-deprecating, but also if we're going to punch, punch up. Mm. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't like, I don't, my shows, I don't care if you're clean. I mean, you can swear, you can talk about sex. I just don't want them to be mean. So I don't like sexist, racist, uh, misogynist, anti-LGBTQ jokes. Um, Cause they're just, you don't need to do them to be funny. But, um, you know, everybody likes to make fun of the Peloton moms or, you know, um, people who own giant yachts. (laughs) No, that's, that's good advice. And I think, uh, especially for this audience, if you're going to bring humor into the workplace, there are certain topics that you should just stay away from. Um, because the, yeah, even though they could be funny per se, um, you want to make sure the intention behind it is not, going in the opposite direction of what you're working towards, I guess, is the good way to put it. I think your your own life, well, everyone's own life has so much material that you just, you don't need to go punching down. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I will say, um, this was one of the best advice that I was given a long time ago from one of my mentors when I started training. Um, I had to start doing diversity talks, and that made me really uh, nervous and scared because I never really owned my personal story uh, around diversity. And I know that you brought up about racism and diversity, and that that is stuff that we're tackling now. Um, and if you're concerned about navigating those conversations, you have to get real with your current situation around all of that you know how did you grow up how you know what were the things like like I'm I'm half white and I'm half Asian um I had yeah so I had Asian friends who made fun of white people and I had white people who made fun of Asians and then I had both family members saying that the other one was wrong and so I had jokes from both sides and um 
But then I also had to figure out what that meant. What, what am I? Like, am I a minority? Am I? So it's, it's just until you can figure that out and develop. And I love this concept of your material or your set around that concept. Just don't feel compelled to share it. And I'm like, and I think that is a wound that I think we're all supposed to like have figured out, or we think that we have to have it figured out. And most of us have no clue. And I can say that I'm right there with you. I don't know. I don't know, Jen, if you've had to tackle that with what the current climate has been, if that has come to the forefront for you as you've been speaking in, in public um, and what that kind of has been like for you. Because I know that's a big challenge for people, is, you know, whatever their story is. If I'm white, can I not talk about certain things? And if I'm not, I don't know. So it's just a, it's an interesting kind of topic to, that I think is it's kind of it's shown up in hints through our conversation. I think that you can always say what is true for you. You own your own story. Um, I mean, I don't, um, I thought that I, growing up, I felt like I was the only half Asian, half white person. Now that I've been in comedy, I, I think half of the comics are half something, half something. So I think the answer, Sam, is that we are the future, you know, <laughs> mixed race is the future. Um, but I think that you can, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make a statement about what life is like for Asians or white people or, or half Asians, but I can say what I feel for me or what's happened to me. Uh, so I, I think that's probably how I would go about it. But I also think that you could make a great set and, and whether you share it or not. Yeah. Well, and I love, I think, you know, my gosh, you are like the comedy version of Brene Brown. Like you're like, let's get vulnerable. Let's get raw. But let's be funny about it. But it's got to be you owning you and owning your story and figuring all that out. And as you figure it out, then you can put it out to the world and it's funny and it's going to help other people grow while you're figuring out the next level. That is my that is my secret goal is to be interviewed by Brene Brown about why comedy is um, the antidote to shame and energy healing. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go on her website and I'm going to recommend you as a guest for her podcast. Oh, my God. The only the only caveat is if she picks you, I got at least gotta get a hey Sam in the interview. Oh, you know it. As my friend Sam Smeltzer said <laughs> on her on her podcast, the heart of it. He said, "Let's get a hint of Betty." Right? That's where that came from. No, just <laughs> well, Jen, this has been a total blast, and uh, for everyone who loved this conversation, because I have no doubt that you do. Make sure you check out the show notes to learn how to get a hold of Jen. Check out her workshops because I know my team's already checking out your workshops. Um, and thank you so much, Jen, for being here. This has been great. It's been such a blast. I hope we get to talk again in some form or another. I'm sure that we will. I'm sure that we will. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Heart of It podcast. I am so grateful for you and I hope this episode served you. If it did and you want to support the podcast, share your love by leaving a review on your favorite listening platform. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of your organizations. <laughs>